to the NFL. Hey guys, Nick Burnett here. Just wanted to kind of give some information on why I joined the Patreon, why I'm part of the Dynasty Warzone uh, team. Downloaded the Dynasty Warzone podcast. It took one day to join the Patreon. Reached out to Memphis about a situation with one of my rosters. And the kind of feedback I got was, hey Nick, why don't you give me a call? Uh, We went down my roster and he helped me pull off a couple moves that put me ahead when I thought I was going to be in rebuild mode this year. And that's just part of what comes with the Patreon. Uh, Just uh, trade talks, just good interaction with guys that love fantasy football. Uh, Whether it's 10 o'clock at night or 3 o'clock in the morning, there's always going to be fantasy football talk, whether it's redraft, whether it's dynasty. I joined a couple leagues with the Patreon members, and it's the same thing. Even Even while we're drafting, we're still shooting ideas at each other. And if that sounds like something that you want to be a part of, pause the podcast now join the patreon and join uh join a great fantasy football group but more like a fantasy football family what's happening guys as you could tell this is not the voice of mr randall young i tried to do his intro as best as i can but he is an absolute misery today because he had uh, a little bit of a, a dentist appointment that has not gone well but what we were not going to do is ruin our streak of four straight years of having a podcast every single Wednesday, even if that means me guiding the ship, which is absolutely going to be an effing disaster. Luckily for me, though, I am not by myself. Mr. Jordan McNamara, the author, the man, the myth, the legend. I I feel like you are one of the most had guests on this podcast. I feel like it's been every year. Jordan, what the hell you got going on, man? It's good to be back, and I'll be honest. We were discussing before the show about like had we had we been uh, had we felt like we'd been punched before, and I was like, yes, I, I, I know what that is like. <laughs> so yes, I'm I'm glad to be back. Let's hope that there's no punching involved in this show, and that we make it out with our teeth intact because we've already lost one, and we don't need you or I don't need that. So no, and so we're not on YouTube, but any listener of the Dynasty Warzone has hopefully seen me on YouTube, and they know that even if I did punch you, it wouldn't do a damn thing, because I got these little <laughs> noodle arms that are not going to do much. Um, so so let me do a little intro. You know, this is normally Randy's cup of tea, but I'm just going to wing it as best I can. So Jordan, at McNamara Dynasty, author of the analytics of Dynasty. I mean, you got the new one coming out. You've been updating it. It's not like mm-hmm. you just came out with the one in 2019. You've been sitting on mm-hmm. your hands. So talk, talk to me a little bit about the uh, the 2022 edition. Yeah, so the 2022 edition's been out uh, all – it's been out uh, for uh, – I think it was February or so that I released it. Uh, and it's, it's fun because there's – each year it's something different, right? And each year we go through a whole new thing of basically talking about or, or really looking at dynasty from a different place. And, um, you know, this year it's a lot about like how to do some of the roster construction stuff. And it's a lot about how, um, different team building and a lot of the work that's happened over AOD in the course of basically four editions of the book and, you know, 500 plus podcasts that we've been doing every day for the past couple of years, when you, it's been, a change really um, and it, it, that change has been ongoing uh, and that change has been I think very profitable 
Uh, and so that's what I try to capture in this book is just different ways to, to do stuff. There's a, there's a, um, you know, I would say like the first maybe 25 pages or so will get you kind of up to speed on where AOD is at with like some of the, the critical stuff, right? It's, it's basically spending the first week or so of school, you know, kind of re going over what you went through last year, you know, just to get updated, you know, after you've been out for, all, all summer you come back spend a little time sort of hey here's where we're at and, and now we're going to go forward it's kind of what i did with this and then a lot of work on uh, a lot of work on quarterback profiles um i come through with actually what i call the hierarchy of assets which is a whole system that i go through about how to sort of think about players and and across positions which it was a lot of fun and then i went through uh my, which has probably been my favorite thing i've ever written which is confessions of a rep- covering productive struggler. Um, and it was uh, a lot of fun in terms of some of the mistakes that I've made along the way. I always joke that AOD is basically uh, me discovering mistakes that I've made along the way, realizing why they were wrong in hindsight and then writing about them. So as a warning sign for other people. So this is really what that this book has been a lot about and, and, and a lot of team building stuff. So it's been fun. And then actually just, uh, I think it was last week I came out with uh the new GM guide, right? So I, I was, my wife has been like, you should put something out for new people. You should put something out for new people. And she's been telling me this for like two years. So finally I was like, I'll put something out for new people. So it's free and you can go right to AOD. You can get it. It's it's right. It's uh, right at the top of my Twitter feed too. Um, Just go get it. It's free. And uh, if you're new to dynasty or if you've played dynasty, you can use it too. But um, it's specifically aimed for people that are newer to dynasty to sort of give you an idea. Cause this is actually the 10th year that I've been playing dynasty. This is my 10 year anniversary is coming up next week. And uh, so I figured I would write something in, in, uh, you know, in celebration of that. So uh, it's, I always wanted something that would have told me kind of from the beginning, like, here's how you should think about it. And so I figured t- 10 years was long enough that I could write it. I mean, it's like you knew that it was going to be a disaster with Randy not here. And I was leading the way because the things I wrote down that I wanted to make sure to bring up that I liked were the things that you talked about. Perfect. <laughs> I mean, I, I wrote down confessions of a recovering productive struggler because I tend to punt the first year of startups and people like to call me a productive struggler, which I don't necessarily agree with because mm-hmm. I'm not trying to struggle. I'm just trying to punt it for one year, but also it's a pain in the ass and it's a flawed system and you have to learn from it, which is why I like talking to you in the most mm-hmm. places. I, you know, I haven't played 10 years. I think this will be year eight, seven mm-hmm. or eight. So I'm, I'm close, but that's sort of been my platform the entire time I've done the show with Randy is I am just talking about the times I have absolutely screwed up the Darius Geises of the world and the Hakeem Butlers and the drafting too many running backs. And then they all fall apart and I'm standing there with Todd Gurley and, you know, whatever else, you know, just learning from that. And then the other thing, the new dynasty GM, the 20 things I wish I knew when I started playing dynasty, because let me tell you when it was seven or eight years ago, whenever I started playing this game, had I found that article, I would have done a lot better to start. Let's just say that (laughs) because that's, that's the thing is it's a fun game and we're all psychopaths and we love to play it, but we screw up so much like, because we just, we just don't know. And and it does take somebody with experience. So, so, so do that. Go to analytics of dynasty.com slash shop, buy the book 39 99. My man has put in so much damn work on it. Listen, I wrote a 60 page thesis and I thought my hair was going to turn gray. I don't want to know how much time you've put into this thing over the course of three years. I just, it's one of those things like every, every, um, 
I've actually done it differently. So I'm already writing next year's one. That's kind of how it is. Because you're a psychopath. Well, you have to sort of get going at some point. And so it's funny, like this part of the off season where it's like, you know, I'm I'm kind of writing smart football guys. I'm just doing some different projects and I'm not really like sitting down and actually writing the book. And then it'll be like November and I'll be like, all right, I got like, I have a pile of stuff that's just like, and I joke that now I'm actually, I know I'm actually an author because like I've got a whole bunch of stuff that I've written and not included in the book. So it's like I have like bits and pieces of each book that are just sitting there and drafted. I'm like, can I actually finish this? Like I've been working on this this project about basketball for like three years now. And it's like there's this will never like it, I'll spend three full weeks of it in the off season. I'll write, you know, 30 more pages to this project and then I will still not include it in the book just because it's just never it's going to be like the you know, it's going to be like, uh, uh, you know, the the thing that constantly gets away and uh so yeah, I mean, but this is it's an ongoing process. And but it's funny because the the worst part of it, I joke that editing it at the end is like the most humble and humiliating thing. And I actually have a very safe space in which we do it. Like I actually have my 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 editor, but it's so I hate it so much. The the actual finishing of it. So it's the, now is the good part of the calendar. In January, it's like it's it's traumatizing. So. Right. No, I mean, I mean, when I had to write the thesis, the my editor was my my faculty advisor, and you know, sure. she's she's like she's like seventy, okay, and she she got a PhD from Harvard, like she's been doing this for longer than my dad's been alive, and she sends me the edits, and the first chapter has three hundred and fifty seven of them or something stupid, <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm gonna crumple this up and throw it away. Thanks for right. that. Right, right. Seriously, yeah, and it's funny because we do we do like an actual reading of it. Like it's, and we actually discovered that like we had like Microsoft Word will actually read it aloud to you, which is great. And because for the first couple of years it was me reading it aloud, which I can't do. Like I literally can't read out. It was, it was it's horrible. So the, we've come up with this really good process of doing it, and it, at least it's gotten like less painful along the way. But it's usually like, you know, I just look at my editor and I could tell just by like his. Like, so what did you think of this chapter? And I could tell by the cadence of his breath about how painful that chapter editing process is going to be. So, but yeah, we, we've, uh, we've gone through it. So we're good. We're good four times. And then, you know, the, the couple other things, like we did the rebuilding guide as well. And then I did the, the new owner thing. So yeah, it's been fun. And then the, then, you know, like I record a podcast and release a podcast every day for AOD, which is just there's something always different to look at. And it's funny because I was actually with my, my brother-in-law and he was doing like the dutiful, like, okay, my brother-in-law is like supposed to be taking care of my sister and he's a podcast host. Like what's the, what's the, what's this, what are we talking about? And it was like literally the day before Russell Wilson got traded was when we were there and, and we were having this conversation. And then it was just like thing after thing, after thing, after thing, after thing for like the entire month of March. And I was like, I was like, see, like, I'm always busy. <laughs> He's like, okay, I get it now. It's funny. So, but yeah, we got that over at AOD too. So yeah, it's fun. It's just, I don't know. It's, it, it's the funny part about Dynasty is you could just do, you could just, there's so much to talk so about much. and there's so many different ways to sort of come at it. And like, I could do, I was joking during the, during the rookie draft aspect of it. Like I could do two podcasts a day and still not cover all the stuff I want to cover. You know what I mean? No, like I just, no. it's just, it's just so much, there's just so much to it that if you want to go in and be serious about it, like you can, you can really win leagues and, and, you know, and, and make a good profit and, and, and do that stuff and but it takes it can take a lot of work and you know it's just a matter of what you're sort of looking for looking for out of it 
that's the thing is it's like there's so much information now granted some of it is noise that you don't want to hear and is not not conducive to your success but if you go out and i mean we're talking about may 24th we're recording this podcast you just got off another podcast you're getting on to this podcast so i've said the the word psychopath a few times but jordan you are absolutely under the definition i'm in in, i'm in yeah i'll i'll confess i mean that's that's what i always tell everybody whenever they're going to play is you know this is a black hole you know welcome Uh welcome to the black hole that is this game because it is going to suck you in you're going to hit every realm that you ever thought you could i mean hell i i never thought i would be sitting here on a podcast talking about it but all right, I got to do a little business. Randy's going to yell at me. He's going to start texting me if I don't. So uh, Patreon doc, I'm going to do it quick and easy because I'm not rehearsed in it. And I just want to talk. So patreon.com forward slash dynasty Warzone. You hear it every time. You know, we got a good group chat. We have 13 leagues. We're working on a 14th league. Randy comes out with podcasts. We got a whole slew of networks. It's fun. I'm, I'm not going to go into more of that because if you need any more than that, I'll have my friend Jordan come over with a tack hammer, hit you on the head with it. A little Tommy Boy reference. Um, subscribe, like the YouTube, give us some five stars. It's good. You know, it just makes the, it helps the algorithm. I am, you know, I'm a, I'm a historian. I don't know diddly dick about coding or any of that. So, I mean, if you want to know about 7th century monasteries, I can help you. If you want me to teach you some medieval Latin, unfortunately, it'll be the most boring six years of your life, but I got your back. But when it comes to that, I have no idea why it helps us. It just helps us. So help me out. Help us out. Um, as far as that, we also, Scott Fishbowl is coming up. And if you have mm-hmm. never played in the Scott Fishbowl, I am one of the absolute people that you want in your league because I am a disaster every single year. I had one year I made the conference finals and I have fallen on my face in every other single one. So if you get the chance playing my division, I did get an invite, which is always humbling and wonderful. They do wonderful things, Uh, but we have a spot to give away. Now, Randy was supposed to talk about it, but he is not feeling good, which is why we're not on the YouTube. That's why he's not here, but I'm also totally incapable of editing or doing any of the producing for this podcast. So he's actually still doing it, which is why me and Jordan are looking at an empty chair. Um, (laughs) But he's going to release that on Friday. So he's going to, you know, he's going to talk about, he's going to give, you know, his own little version of uh, sleepers. I think he told me I'm not a great listener. Never have been, especially once Randy starts talking, but he's going to tell you, how to get a Scott Fishbowl spot. And if that isn't good enough to listen to that man's voice, whether he's got one teeth or all of his teeth, you know, got to do that. Jordan, for the love of all that is good, let's get back to talking football, man. Uh-huh. So this 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 episode, we are going to talk rookies, sophomores. It, it, you know, we've, we've been beating the hell out of rookies. I think last week we talked about veterans that we wanted to go after. The... College football has been giving us just a slew of talented guys that are, you know, performing immediately and just helping our dynasty rosters, which has not always been the case, but it's a wonderful treat and it makes our jobs easier. That said, we are going to be comparing them. So we're going to talk quarterbacks first. We're just going to go down the list. I mean, I'm I'm going to try to not keep it boring as much as I can, but as far as the QBs are concerned, are you taking Kenny Pickett over any of the guys last year? The the the, the Lawrence, the Lance, the Fields, the yada yada yada. The top five guys, I guess you would say. Yeah, yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think I'm going to take him over any of those guys. Uh 
What's interesting is like how how would you treat Davis Mills? I'd probably take him behind Kenny Pickett just because Pickett's a little bit more insulated. But that mm-hmm. that's I think more of the conversation that Pickett would fit in. The interesting part about Pickett to me, especially this year, right? If you if you take him, if he's going at he went in in the draft this year after where Mac Jones went last year, and Mac Jones was quarterback five of that class. Pickett is quarterback one. That tells you a lot about. That should tell you a lot about how you should rank him, right? If you're if you're at a rare position and you go later, uh, you're in your quarterback one and you go later than quarterback five went last year, that's that's not a great situation. That said, that same fact is making him very rare because when you look at there's only one first round quarterback, how much do you really give? In terms of a third round quarterback, like how how much of a shot are they really going to get as being a starter in this league? Um, you know, and it's probably not soon for guys like Willis and, and and the other guys there. It gives me a lot of pause in terms of taking them. And and as you sort of look, what's rare in this class? Get three day uh, three round two running backs. Uh, you've got a whole bunch of first round wide receivers, and then you've got one first round t- quarterback. And I think it's interesting because while he's later, you could actually make a case that his rarity should put him higher in the class than, than some of those, than, than a guy like Mac Jones went last year, just because there was so, such a better supply of them. Um, and, and, you know, you take, all right, do you want to take quarterback one or do you want to take wide receiver three or wide receiver two, you know, or, or if you're sitting at wide receiver one and you're saying, all right, well, can I get, you know, I like Drake London, but can I get someone that's relatively close to Drake London at the end of this round? Maybe, uh, depending on how you answer that question. Am I going to do that for Kenny Pickett in terms of expectation? Probably not, right? So I think he's really interesting in terms of what you're trying to accomplish and uh, and the like there. So I would stick him behind the rest of those guys. But for the, the scarcity reasons, he's going higher. Uh, he should go higher than, than a bunch of those guys went last year. Yeah, I uh, I think I think I'm with you. I think I would have him behind the big five ahead of Davis Mills, mm-hmm. as far as Davis Mills is concerned, right? Like like he's a starting quarterback. He, we are absolutely getting him in 2022. So do you, would you rather have him or Malik Willis or Desmond Ritter or do you, do you think risking it for the biscuit with those guys is better to just sort of wait, keep them in your back pocket? Maybe you find a 20 in your jacket next year, or or would you rather have Davis Mills and just take the one year that you know is going to happen? Man, like you put Davis Mills on and it's it's crazy because Davis Mills didn't what's what's wild about Davis Mills is he came in as such a good recruit and then almost did nothing in college, which is incredible. And then he comes in and you figure, all right, like there's no way that he can that he can be on the same level as a guy like Trevor Lawrence who came in so polished and he is. Right. Like, and, and so you start looking at that and you're like, wow, what if, again, what, what if he performs pretty well this year and, and is, is on the right track. And you, you just look at, for example, Lawrence had 1138 passing attempts in college. Uh, Davis Mills had 438. So 700 less passing attempts in college for Davis Mills than Trevor Lawrence. And you just look at that and you're like, all right, like, and, and he's on par after year one. Yeah, he hasn't lost ground, right? You could t- sort them out. You say, how, you know, how do they fit or whatever, right? They're they're pretty close after year one, and 
you could argue that Mills was better. And you say, okay, well, he's way behind him in terms of the the trajectory of his development, yeah. you know, time-wise, you know, starts-wise, th- attempts-wise that matter. And he's already performing on a on a, a a pretty equal or better footing than Lawrence's. That's in a situation that wasn't good. It's one of those things where you're like, huh, you know. So um, with Mills, like I think Mills is really compelling. I think he's a really compelling guy because of that. Right? He's basically done nothing. He had nothing in college, and he came in and already you know, sort of put himself right there with some of the guys that should have been. Uh, it should have been further ahead of him in development. I think that's a really intriguing thing. So I'm interested in Mills. I'd probably rather have Mills just because he's already got his foot in the door. We we know at least what he looks like and sort of where that goes. You, you never know if any of the other guys, if, if Malik Willis is ever going to get a shot, how many teams passed on him? Like that That's a rare thing for that many teams to pass. And then a get lot a of teams that needed quarterbacks too. And you know, it's funny. It's funny you say that because I was writing something today. Uh, about Jared Goff and uh, and and a lot of people when Jared Goff was traded to Detroit for Matt in that Matthew Stafford deal a lot of people said there was two firsts in that deal one of them was for Stafford and the other one was to eat Goff's contract and there has been no evidence there's been zero evidence that that's true None, because they've gone through two rookie classes and they haven't drafted anyone. In fact, they were so mocked to take Malik Willis. I think he was the most mocked player, the second most mocked player to them in the first round. And they they passed on him at two. They traded up and took somebody else instead of him and then passed on him you know, with, with later opportunities as well. Um, they've passed on quarterback at every mark. And what's interesting is they did it. And if you sort of get nerdy um, and start looking at some of the cap stuff like this year golf's cap number is like the fourth or fifth highest in the league this year um, and it's a pretty big chunk of the of the um, of the stack. I think it's 14.3 percent something like that um, and I believe that's fourth in the league uh, was was where it ranked this year um, again, there's some guarantees in there. It's not an easy cut and those things, but they've made no inclination to move off of that. And he gets cheaper, right? The the interesting thing about his contract is it gets cheaper relative to the cap the next two years. It's not common, but for him, it, it's, it's, uh, he's going in a positive direction in terms of what he's going to cost them relative to their cap. And he's got a really good set of weapons around him. Right. So it's interesting, like when you sort of start comparing some of these guys to where they are, like Malik Willis and some of these other guys are going ahead of guys like Jared Goff or ahead of guys like Davis Mills. And you're just like, what, you know, if we're to sort of put expectations on starting jobs, like all these teams passed on, on Malik Willis, all these teams passed on, on, you know, Sam Howell and Desmond Ritter and Matt Corral. And what, I mean, again, they'd rather try and pay, off $30 million, which again, we could, we could debate about that. I actually think it might be a reasonable number next year when we get back and look at it, but that, that, that should tell us a lot about what the NFL thought about those, about those guys a lot. And so that gives me a lot of pause. We already know with Mills that he's, he's going to get handed this job to start and, and could potentially develop into a franchise starter. Like that's such a coup for them. Like if he hits and is a success story for the Texans, Talk about a team that didn't deserve any of that getting just at, coming out absolutely <laughs> right. just amazing. I mean, it, it's sort of like uh, 
I don't want to say Kirk Cousins because they drafted a guy two overall that year, but, yeah, but, but like Russell, you know, one of those Russell Wilson type spots where you you don't even necessarily expect it, and then they just go bananas. Right, the Dak Prescott, almost I, like the Dak Prescott. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and they wanted Connor Cook that year, and right. they ended it's crazy. up with, with Dak. Crazy. Um, no, I'm I'm with you. I was sort of hoping you were going to toot Malik Willis's horn because I'm a Davis Mills guy. Um, but yeah, what about what about the sexy position? We got to talk running backs. It, is anybody on Najee's level? Or are you just no? Yes, maybe so. I mean, Najee's got the first round pedigree, so I think that matters. Um, mm-hmm. Najee's got a hit already on his resume, so if you're going to re rack him, like I think I don't think you can put anyone on on that level no. uh, with him. And then you start thinking, okay, like I would rather have Hall over Walker this year. Um, I think that's for sure. Uh, what's interesting to me is if you go back and you're looking at this and you're like, all right, where do you put ETM? Because I think ETN is an interesting one. One of the things I did in the in the book, and I've I've talked about a lot, sort of along the way, is the idea of base rates. And so base rates are basically, you know, if you know, if you if you look at a player and you just look at his position and where he's be, where he was selected in the NFL draft, and how long he's been in the league, that'll give you a, a a pretty good set of comps historically to start looking at. You know, how often do they produce and how often do they hit? Well, for ETN, and I was, I was actually looking at this for, for the football guy show this week. And then uh, now that we're here for ETN, right, he's a first round running back. Uh, he missed in year one. He didn't produce the top 24 season because he missed the entire season via injury. Yeah. Uh, in, and historically, guys that are first round running backs that miss year one, 69% of them go on to hit for a top 24 seasonal finish. That's a really good number. How good of a number is that? It's actually better than the hit rate of round two running backs coming into the NFL. So you start looking at that and you're like, okay, well, where does Brees Hall and ETN rank? And this isn't something I'd done a ton of beforehand, but I'm, I'm interested in exploring that trade market because I think when you, when you start looking at those guys, I think people view Hall much better than they view ETN. And, you know, I think Hall's pretty good, but I think we're probably in the same breath that I think Hall's pretty good. I think ETN's probably undervalued. And so I think that that's an interesting thing. I don't think you need to take ETN ahead of Hall to get uh, to get ETN. Yeah, right? yeah no, hell no. And so um, I, I but I think that that that's one of those things where ETN is it's the story there is probably that ETN's a value. And I think that that's. Um, I think that's something I'm probably going to pursue more and more here over the off season. Uh, I just did a trade for ETN. I don't remember what it was because I do a lot of trades, but I don't remember. But I, I'm I'm with you on that one. Uh, where, so, where do you have ETN between these two classes? Um, I, I think... Like 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 just Jordan McNamara. Like you're just you're drafting and you get to just pick which guys you want. Not so much, you know, because you you could get ETN plus for Brees sure. Hall and that corner said, but like. Yeah, I mean, I think I would take, I think I would take him second, or sorry, third. Okay. I think I'd take him behind Hall, right? I think I'd take, I think I'd take him behind Hall. I think I'd take him ahead of Walker. Let's see where else we're looking. Ah, Javante Williams from Javante, last year. Yeah. I'm just trying to refresh my mind from last year. Um, yeah, I think I'd have, knowing what we know now, I, I would probably take, it would probably be Harris. Um, Hall and Javante Williams are interestingly. They're close. I'd put them two and three in some order. And then I think I would put, um, I think I'd put ETN four and I'd put ETN ahead of uh, Walker. Okay. 
Yeah, because the names I had were Breeser, Javante Williams, and K9 or ETN. So that answers that. Here's the let's talk polarizing. The most polarizing name of this rookie class, in my opinion, James Cook. Mm-hmm. Where the hell does he fit in? So again, we go back to talking about like why are things expensive, right? Because they're rare, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, and for any number or there's inflation, right? Like (laughs) what we're living through. Um, When you look at, when you look at running backs this year, there's, there's a handful of them that are day two guys. There's basically three of them that are round two guys. There's a difference between round two and round three historically. Um, And, and round two, round two running backs actually outproduce first round wide receivers in terms of expected wins in terms of uh, odds of hitting, um, in terms of stats, like in terms of actual production stats, the round two running backs perform better than first round wide receivers. So when you just start looking at that off the jump, I think I start there and say, okay, like he's on an equal footing with the guys in that range uh, from a starting point. Do I like James Cook as much as maybe the average round two running back? Probably not. And I think he's undersized. I mean, he's a little bit limited in terms of what I look for. You know, I want 215, uh, you know, that can run and catch, right, and, and move, right? That's kind of what I'm aiming for. He's small. Um, but I, I I can understand that, A, he's small, and, B, at the same time, a, a team drafted him in the second round, right? Those things are um, – I, I think you have to really weigh that heavily in terms of how you view players. So – um, so, and that's one of the things that I found consistently is draft pedigree really matters. And if you're going against draft pedigree, especially in critical ways, like there's people that I've seen advocate for round four guys over James Cook. And that is just, you can't do that. You might as well just light your buy-in on fire because like, you, you just, we, we talked about it in the, in the show. Yeah. That is, that's Jerry Hakeem Butler all over. Yes. Already, that's I, the lessons I, you've learned, right? That's, that's I took, the lesson I took you learned. I that then. brick yes. to the yes. motherfucking face and I will never <laughs> forget it for the rest of my life. Right. Right. And and you know what? It's funny because I would have done that stuff. Like I like I would have been like, "Oh, the, the draft's not that big of a deal. It's a huge yeah. deal. It's a right. huge deal." And if you're taking a guy like Isaiah and Isaiah Spiller is the, I think the big name that this happened with. I'm not picking on Isaiah. Yeah. I actually like Isaiah Spiller. This is an yep. anti Isaiah Spiller. This is a, this is a, a profile thing more than is an anti Isaiah Spiller thing. Um, or for that matter, that much of a pro James Cook thing. Um, but when you, when you, when you're at the second round running back versus the fourth round running back, you have to take the second round running back. You just have to, you can't, you just can't go the other way um, because you're, you, the, you're, you're so against the odds. Again, I think so 58% of second round running backs hit um, and you, you go down, it's about a quarter of round four guys, right? So it's just a massive difference. It's just such a big difference in terms of, in terms of those guys, you're just, it's a, it's a big, big loss you're taking. It's really rare that round three running backs actually around four running backs actually hit in year one, even. So if you're thinking about Damian Pierce or one of those guys potentially being a, a producer from day three, right off the bat, that's really rare as well. And you just look like James Cook, like there's a really reasonable, like, Hey, he can, he has 200, maybe 250 touches total uh, scores eight to 10 touchdowns and is a 
it, right in your running back two wheelhouse. Like that's that's not that far fetched, honestly. And and frankly, Devin Singletary was running back one in the fantasy playoffs, tied with uh, Rashad Penny last year, and he he's. I'm not trying to insult Devin Singletary when I say this because I like him as a player. He might be the worst pass catching running back in the league. Like from a production basis, he's he's right. really bad at it. And James Cook, that's what he's really good at. So when you when you start looking at those things, like like there's a a pretty good opportunity there for James Cook to capitalize on. So I'm really interested in him. Again, I got him late first. Um, I, it's very palatable. You know, people are making this comp between him and him and Clyde Edwards Clyde Lair. Lair. I couldn't yeah. I, I couldn't think of anything that's actually further further from the truth because Clyde Edwards Lair, let me just like I was there when that happened and I was there when people took him over Jonathan Taylor. I was there when people took him at 106 in startup drafts. Doesn't not James Cook's available in the hundreds of a startup draft right now. There are not in any way. I mean, James Cook is going in between 110 and, and, and 201, that type of range. And what's what everyone says is a bad class. Clyde Edwards Lair went at 101 by a lot, by a lot of people. And what, what is a historically good class, right? So there is no, that, that comp for me is, is um, couldn't be further from the truth in terms of, in terms of where they are, right. And elevating landing spot and all that stuff. James Cook didn't get elevated. Like James Cook's actually probably behind where you would expect his pedigree to be. Um, Yeah. So that's my take on James Cook. I think he's, I think he's, he's probably, he's rare in terms of this class and he's undervalued and he's, um, and he's being disrespected, I think. And so you start looking at things like uh, it's really interesting to me getting him at that spot. Um, I'm in on his cost at the later part of the first round for sure. I just think that the dynasty community as a whole hates guys that they didn't talk about a ton for months leading up to the draft. You know, they they wanted it to be Isaiah Spiller so bad in that RB3 mm-hmm. spot that when it's anybody else, it's like, ah, no. That's Clyde Edwards Hilaire. We're just, yeah. we're, I mean, I had that, that's that's one thing. That's why I try not to have any biases going into it because A, I'm not an NFL scout. B, yep. I don't really give a damn. The NFL's right. good, like you say, with the draft capital. The NFL's right. going to tell me exactly what they think of these players. And it doesn't matter how much I stare at a YouTube video and try and determine it myself. That's just not, and I'm not, I'm not in the business of trying to, scout how the NFL draft is going. Yeah. I just want, I, I, I want to have a better dynasty team. I don't, I right. don't, I mean, we're, we're living in a world where Hunter Renfro had a more productive dynasty season than DK Metcalf. And if I look at them side by side, they do not profile the same. One is a pinnacle athlete and the other for lack of a better person looks is not. sort of like me after <laughs> I eat some Hardee's like it gets, He's just—it's not the same. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm with you. It's, so I actually—I have some—I have some research that I worked on for this book, um, and it's funny because I—I'll do this research and like I'll spend you know whatever May and June, July and August writing a good chunk of it, and it'll be reactions to just different things that I want to sort of look at, uh, and and then. I'll, so I'll have the data, I'll have the fighting, I'll sort of have the lesson that I've learned. And then the best part is when it appears, like when it actually, ha- when it, when it manifests itself and I'm like, oh, look, because all dynasty is, is a pattern, right? There's just patterns and you have to know like, Hey, when this, it's like, 
you know, if you play chess or, or like a board game or something like that, where it's like, hey, these patterns just keep reoccurring. Um, you know, you just have to see them and know that like when when they reappear, this is kind of what you do. Well, this is an easy one, right? Because when you look at guys, uh, when you look at, uh, at, at second round running backs in particular, uh, when you look at where they rank versus, and I, I've taken out, so I've, I've gone back historically to 2008 and looked at all the rookie draft ADP. And we don't have super flex data going back that far. But what we can do is look at uh, the non-quarterbacks, right? Where do, where do non, how do non-quarterbacks rank? Then we try and piece the, the quarterbacks together. So in terms of non-quarterbacks, uh, the average second round running back is about the sixth player off the board in rookie drafts. Uh, when you look at the uh, when when you look at the the guys in like the fourth round, you know some of those guys that we were talking about, like your Damian Pierce, some of those other guys, uh, they're actually off the board and like well into the third round. Like that's their their uh, the average fourth round running back is the twenty five point four player off the board in rookie drafts. Uh, the average second round running back is six point seven. So you're seeding basically two rounds of historical. Ga- I mean, that's a huge difference, right? That's a huge difference. Um, and you look again, the, the again, running backs in the second round outproduce wide receivers historically and hit rate and all that stuff. The average running back in the second round, 6.1 off the board and, and rookie drafts, the average first round wide receiver, 6.3. So they're the receivers still get that jump up ahead of the running backs. And like, this is very, and, and again, you look at 6.7, James Cook's going late first, right? Yeah. Well after that. So I think historically it's a discount. And and you might say, hey, he's not as good as the second round running backs. Like this is actually reflected in that. Right. That, that actually that's a fair conclusion to draw from it. And I think, you know, you, you look at that and you're like, all right, that's a pretty that's a decent price to pay for the bet that I'm making. So I think like a lot of the stuff from AOD is is ap- applies in these situations. And it's fun to to try and use that because then you have to understand like is that the right bet to make in this particular circumstance but here's kind of what history and here's what the data would suggest you to do and you know and and i jokingly say that aod is basically do what you want to do aod is there to sort of keep you from driving off a cliff right and this is one of those situations where i think it's you know Listen, Damian Pierce might be better than James Cook, but that's not the bet you make in advance. Right. <laughs> you just can't like that. That may turn out to be true, but you can't make that bet in advance. Right. right. That's like, uh, you know, you're playing blackjack or something and you're going to hit when you have a 19 or something. Like, right. You, you may get it. Right. Right. You're just seven, seven two is going to win and, and hold them. Right. Seven yeah, two like, will win and hold them. But that doesn't right, mean like, you play it. Right? No. Like, like, that does not mean you play it. That means you fold it. Right. I mean, it, it may win. But it might, but don't play it. Um, I mean, the, that, that's the yeah. thing is we do, you just have to play this game as smart as you possibly can. Which right. I mean, I mean that's the whole point of AOD. So yeah. people don't so people don't catch a brick to the face because they don't listen to what the NFL tells them and they take Hakeem Butler at one eleven in a rookie yeah. draft like an absolute dope. God, I still regret that one. All right, speaking of wide receivers, nobody's touching Jamar Chase. There's just not a wide receiver talent wise and in the situation. Do you disagree? Yeah, he'd be the, he'd be one. Um, he'd be he'd be number one. Yeah, in, in terms of you got nobody challenge. nobody yeah. touching it. Even like Drake, he he got similar draft capital, I guess. But yeah, I mean, if especially if we were to restart, like again, I think going it, coming in, I had some concerns about uh, about uh, Chase about how he would 
perform coming in because he hadn't played in a year. Like we don't, we didn't know what that yeah. would do to people. I actually think we probably don't give Jamar Chase enough credit for the fact that he, he basically didn't play an entire year and came in and dominated in the NFL right away. Like we probably don't give him enough credit for that. Um, Which is crazy. Uh, yeah. It's, it's crazy when you think about it. Um, and so uh, that's for him. Like I, I would have had that. I had that concern coming in. Now I don't. Right. So if we're going to grade him now, like it's clear Justin Jefferson over, or it's clear uh, Jamar Chase over anyone in this class. Um, last year I would have had a little bit of question, and that was that was what it would have stemmed from. I thought he was a great player. I right. just didn't know coming in. Like we we didn't. There wasn't a ton of that happening, and you just didn't know really what that would look like. So yeah. and and you look at something like that, and it's like Mike Williams in like you know whenever the hell the Lions took him. All those yeah. years ago, when he sat out the year, came in and absolutely, you know, turned into a pumpkin. Right, right. And there was like good reasons for for Chase doing it. There was like a lot of good reasons for for players coming in to do it. Uh, family reasons, like COVID reasons, like all that stuff. Like, it, it, but you just didn't have right. There's probably some guys that that uh, I don't think Chase was this guy, but there was probably some guys that viewed it as a slacking opportunity too. And we don't know enough to sort that out, but it was a hundred percent a risk, right? It was a hundred percent a risk of like, I don't know if I was just sitting here and didn't have to go do anything. What would I, if, you know, I just put myself in that again, he's a world-class athlete. I was, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't, I, I was anything but enough. that, but what would I have done if I didn't have to like, yeah. you know, if, if, if this thing that dominated all my time became not there all of a sudden, you know, would I, would I be training? Would I be doing all that stuff? So there was a huge concern about that for, for, for me. Um, and we just didn't have a ton of, uh, a ton of the stories, but he, I mean, he dominates from an early, like it's, it's awesome. We don't give him enough credit. We just don't no. give him enough credit. Which is outrageous because my man is already near the tippy top. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, you, so here's a question. This is a, this is a weird one because I think a lot of the wide receivers that we're going to talk about, they all have first round draft capital for the most part. Yep. Um, so is it sort of just preference when you're going to pick a guy? Like if like if like Drake London got drafted before Rashad Bateman, but like you know Drake London has Marcus Mariota, Rashad Bateman has Lamar Jackson. Like, how do you determine who you like, or is it just who you prefer? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, so, so there's a there's a couple of ways that I would say to go about that. Um, it depends what you're trying to accomplish. Um, for me. Um, I think so. There's a couple of things that I could point to. Uh, number one, guys that break out at 18 or 19 years old perform better than guys that break out later in their career. Um, so you look at, you know, that would favor a guy like Alave, for example, right? So that would be, again, if you're sort of just looking at this, I just sort of, I use a lot of try to make simple, like simple rules to follow. Like when you have, when you don't know anything else, like here's a rule to follow. And that's that's one of them, right? If guys break out at 18 or 19 years old they, and given the same draft round, they have historically outproduced guys that are, have broken out later. So that would point you towards a guy like Alave. Um, that would point you sort of in that direction, right? Those um, that and, and London as well. Um, the other thing, the other rule of thumb that I have is first round wide receivers when you look at them in two different, there's two different ways you can look at them. You can look at them in, uh, in the order of which they actually come off in the NFL draft, or you can look at them in the order of which they actually come off in rookie drafts, right? Cause we can look back at ADP and um, 
and see like, hey, how have they done? And when you're just looking at that subset of first round wide receivers, by both measures, they perform randomly. So what do I mean by that? The the order of which they have come off in the NFL draft has not predicted the, the odds that they've actually become fantasy starters, nor has that, nor have we as a dynasty marketplace performed better than random in terms of picking them. Um, so that tells me a couple of things, right? It tells me uh, trying to spend a lot of time. We spend four months out of the year trying to sort those guys out. That's probably time spent doing anything else in the world other than trying to pick those things out right because we have we haven't shown the ability to actually do it so um so let's go spend our time doing other things um that's that's the first thing and this so the second thing is is i i I, we joke about this with subscribers in our group chat um let be the tax man right like i'm constantly thinking about like all right if other people want to make like a very specific bet like i will be the broker Right. I'll, I'll be the person there to charge, like I'll charge the fee. Like I'll collect the toll. You can come up, you can select the guy and I'll move back four spots and I'll just take whoever's left over. And if I do that historically, I think I come out ahead, right? Because I don't like historically trying to pick between those guys. If you're picking between first round wide receivers, hasn't been a successful strategy. And we've seen that in recent years as well. Like Waddle, um, you know, Justin Jefferson, right. The two guys, um, you know, two of the the best guys of their classes in the past couple of years have all been uh, have been later on, and we haven't gotten that order right. Um, Chase was Chase was right, but not not basically after that in the last three two or three years. Um, and so we see these patterns reappear. So I am very much like, hey, how do I go down and get you know and uh, two shots instead of one, right? Or how do I get you know one di- one deal that I actually did this year that. I've tried in different ways is, is like, how do I get two of these shots instead of one? Uh, I actually moved down from, I don't know, been like wide receiver two or three down to like wide receiver five or six, something like that. And I actually got Kadarius Tony added in. Right. And that was basically the pivot. And I said, this is very similar, right? It's I'm basically making two of the same type of bets, first round pedigree guys. And I like the actual trajectory that Tony's on after a year versus taking one. I'd rather take two of those shots at, and and so that's really like the the play that I try and do. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion about that type of strategy. People have said that's not doable this year. I've found plenty of success doing it, um, and I've found a lot of success in actually going into the second round too. We know that we can still get Jahan Dotson. We can get some of these other guys in the second round. I'm fine going there as well. Uh, I'm not wedded to the idea of trying to pick between first round wide receivers, and I think it's been pretty lucrative for me in in this class and in prior classes as well. So what do you do? Like, what's your strategy with multiple leagues? Like, let's, let's talk about this wide receiver range. Cause I, yeah. I don't love it either. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it, it, I, you know, I have probably 20 ish leagues or something and I've just been picking guys in that range just so I have a share of them because I don't between wide receiver one and wide receiver five, that one Oh three to like one ten. I don't, I like, I, I don't care. I'm, I'm trying to move out just like you are for the most part, Yeah. but I'm also not picky about any of them. So I, right. I have a wide variety. Is that something that's detrimental to me or, or, or do you think just the, the edge is just the value, not so much honing in on one guy? Um, yeah, I mean, I'll just let, I'll just sort of let it come to me. Um, I haven't taken, I take, <laughs> This is funny. I just pulled up my team tracker. I have not, I've had one share of a first round wide receiver this year. It's Jahan Dotson. 
Um, I have uh, I have Sky Moore on twelve percent of my teams, and I've got Christian Watson on eight percent of them. But that's basically of those what I would consider like the top, the first round wide receivers plus Watson and Moore, which I sort of put in a tier together on my board. Mm-hmm. Um, I only have six. I only have uh, six total uh, them on six total rosters. Um, and, and I haven't picked and, and the, the thing that I've done this year was to try and avoid a lot of that range, which I knew to be a range that I probably wasn't going to love to pick in um, historically or this year in particular. Uh, I, I traded out of there, right? I used that as a as an upgrade at uh, tight end, for example, in, in tight end premium leagues. I packaged that for, um, you know, with with picks and, and other assets to get quarterback upgrades. Uh, you know, I've, I've was sort of proactive to not pick in there, right? I only in my, across my leagues and I always pick more than my fair share of picks. I always do uh, up until this year. Uh, I only picked about 0.54 first round picks per league, which is something I, that's never been true. It's always been more than one um, on average. It's always when been more than one. did you start getting rid of them? Was it sort of just seeing the class and how it shapes up? Was this post-draft? Mm. What was the reasoning? I started getting rid of them when I was writing AOD 2022 edition. (laughs) And I realized that, um, you know, uh, you know, and I actually put this out as a, as a tweet um, because I knew what the result was, but I included three first round picks that I got and, and uh, that I, I just traded for along the way um, in a startup draft, traded down, traded down, traded down. And I just pocketed a whole bunch of picks. um, And I had the opportunity to go out and use them to get Prescott. Right. And right. Prescott yeah. teamed with Watson or sorry, Prescott teamed with uh, Mahomes and I won a championship in year one. Right. And so there was three first round picks that I didn't have. Um, you know, I used I used them to trade up uh, for players that that mattered along the way. Um, I, I sold more first. Again, it's not that many, by the way. I did, uh, this isn't a tactic I typically use, but I sold first for deals involving Tyree Kill and Diggs. Um, you know, and I, there was deals along the way that I made that were like, I can go out and I can get elite players, star players that can help me right now, instead of sitting and waiting and taking kind of like a middling class first round pick or what would at that point I knew to be a playoff first, you know, in a class that didn't project to have a ton of things. I use them along the way. So I, and I only do that like, this, this I, smells I, like a, a section of confessions of a recovering productive struggle. It does. It does. It really does. And that's something that I would have almost never done. Um, but I will, uh, I've really changed my approach to this. And I used to be very much a, I'm going to build a ton of depth and all this stuff in dynasty. Um, I think that's actually maybe the worst thing that we do. Like we spend more time trying to build depth when in reality, elite players win. And if you, if you're, uh, if you're willing to be flexible, if you're willing to be um, uh, humble is a word that's been kicked around as well. Um, if you're willing to be open to the idea of like trying to do depth in different ways, uh, it's not that costly. Yeah. I mean, like you can get 120 targets out of Tyler Lockett this year and he's going to cost you pennies. Yeah. Like it doesn't. Randy, depth... Randy always talks about Adam Thielen. Like you, you could trade <laughs> a third and get Adam Thielen. Correct. And, and you know what? Like, is he going to, is he going to, are you going to trade him for a, a top 30 asset at any point? Probably not, but that's not why you're using him. Correct. And this is the thing about dynasty that I, 
and I, I honestly I wish that I had included this in the the things that I wish I had known. But I don't think that your roster is like every. I don't think every part of your roster should be treated the same. So like the top third of your roster should have a different purpose than the bottom third of your roster. And what people get super into is like, Oh, all these bets need to be long-term. Like if you're doing that on your entire roster, you're really doing yourself a disservice. And it's funny because people will take longer term bets on the back end of the roster, but, but, but be really concerned about week four, week five and the first, you know, six rounds of their start like it's totally backwards you know um so for me it's been really like i can figure out i can figure out depth um you know my my scrubs like uh, we i think that's something that we kind of know how to do is figure out scrubs right and, and optimize some of the positional stuff that we've learned in aod right running backs for example over depth receivers right we we can just keep cycling through them and some of the the roster construction's advantages but what you can like you add that into I want to trade for star players I want to trade for top 30 assets that's something I never really did until the last couple of years and I regret it and now like it's something I'm much more willing to do I don't just willy-nilly throw a first round they have to be I have a rule it has to be a top 30 asset coming back for the first round pick but you can you can get those that you can make those deals um and i shoot really high right i start really really way up the board when i start trying to make those deals and i use them sparingly and i kind of know when to strike with them but i think doing that is something that has really really paid off for me and a lot of my subscribers so this is sort of off topic to what the show is but how do you feel about later round rookie picks i love them okay I love them. I'll pick them in volume. I, I was I was feeling like you were going to hate them just because their no. hit rate is so bad. But is it is it just because you can take as many shots as you want? Yeah, I don't think the hit rate's as bad as we give it credit for. Like I think people get nervous about the hit rate. Um, I think it depends how you measure it. Right? I think, um, and and different depths matter, right? I think it's it's not there's not a one size fits all to that to that question. But generally speaking, like people rag on the class this year. Um, the second round is like, it's like fishing with dynamite. Um, there's second round running backs all over the place. There's second round running backs into the, or sorry, second uh, day two running backs into the third round of rookie drafts. That's a very uncommon to happen. Very uncommon. Brian Robinson and, uh, and Ty Davis price are both probably going to finish with third round ADPs, which is almost never happens for second round for day two running backs. It's a very rare thing to happen. It's happened like eight times in the past eight or nine times in the past, like 15 years. Like that's not, a, that's not common. It's, a, and that might happen twice. Like that, that's a great situation to be in. Like I want to make those picks. Um, I want to sort of build some depth running backs in that range. Um, especially if they're trade downs, right. Which a lot of times they have been. So yeah. So, I mean, I like those. And then, you know, third and fourth rounders, I'm taking a lot of like situational shots. You know, people want to take worry about situational shots up at the top of the rookie board. When in reality, I want to take them at the back of my rookie board. You know, I've, you know, I don't usually do the developmental wide receiver thing, but Justin Ross has been one that I just can't, it's like, it's like looking at an eclipse. Like I just can't, like, I know it's the wrong thing to do, but I just can't stop doing it. Like uh, I know it's going to burn my, burn my eyes, but I just have to look at it because he was elite from a young age in college, right? We know that that 
historically has worked. There's a lot of reasons that that it went wrong, yeah. um, injury related, some other stuff that along the way didn't turn out his way. Um, but I think we'll get an answer on that really quickly. And those are the bets that I like to take. So those are the situational bets, third, fourth round. I love using those picks for that. Um, I love using them as like advanced, um, you know, advanced uh, waiver wire selections, that type of stuff. Um, and if I can use them for for picks, if I can use them for productive players, I do that as well. Um, you know, and and third rounders, fourth rounders, you know, you, I think you said a third for Adam Thielen earlier. Like you can, those things can happen, you know, and I did a couple of those 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 shots as well this year but yeah i mean i i think they're a lot of fun and you can move around the board too you know i like to have a lot of them because you can you can like i didn't realize that that you were going to be able to get second round day two running backs in the third round of rookie drafts this year and i just wish that i had more rookie picks to do that with right i wish that i had had more ways to to get into that range you know and i and that's me having 50 percent of brian robinson and ty davis price i just wish that i had had more picks you just you you take a lot of the same guys later in those rounds. Yeah, I just it's it's rinse repeat. Like I actually, it's funny. I get in a rhythm and I just be like, okay, well, it's this then that. Yeah, right? see, like it's, it. I could I, basically I write it down. Robinson. I have yeah. a ton of like Zamir White and stuff. Just in yeah. case a running back gets hurt, I just tend to take running backs late like that. Yeah, and totally. Then... I've got I've got um, basically my ordering of it this year ended up being like after Jahan Dotson, it was Rashad White, Brian Robinson. Ty Davis price. And then it was really Zamir white. If he made it, um, Algier after that, um, you know, and then Hassan Haskins was like the next guy off the board. And yeah. then it actually ended up being Justin Ross. And then, you know, later on, um, some other guys after that, but that's basically like, I could literally by the time, like my rookie draft actually comes good. What I've, once I've done a couple, I could write it down on a post-it note and been like, okay, this is like the, the, the six step process of which I'm going to look at the, at the board and pick the next person. It just becomes that. So what do you do with tight ends? I mean, the, the format matters. Um, so I play in some of these two tight end leagues that are awesome, like actual start two tight end leagues. And so I'm maniacal about, I'm just going to continue to throw assets at it. Right. Or, um, you know, I play in a 40 man league that has, uh, that is basically too tight end with some of the premiums that are juiced into it. Like it, that becomes very, very tight end friendly. Um, I'm just constantly throwing picks. So I have a ton of Dulcich, right? I'm just third and fourth round tight ends just in volume. Right. And I, there's a taxi squad, which sets up, per- I mean, it is just custom wrapped for like developmental tight end. Just keep hammering it. Um, the format's great for it. So I do a lot of that. Um, it's tough. Like, uh, Historically, third and fourth round tight ends perform pretty close to each other, which is actually one of the rare places where it's the actually the I think the only place where uh, pedigree crosses a day of the NFL draft and doesn't really hurt a position, uh, which is odd. You know, the the gap between day one and day two is pretty big across the positions. The gap between day two and day three is pretty big across the positions, except at tight end. Uh, round three and round four basically perform the same. Uh, so then you can get some guys in that again if you're just willing to take some depth shots like later on the problem is if you're playing in 22 man rosters you can't really you don't want do to hold that. on to those right. Guys, yeah. right right so it becomes that you you have to be selective on that right you you know that's the bat and you have to kind of see it when it's there but it's the right format to take it in so i've taken a hint and again like what i'll do is sort of set 
almost set a reminder for myself that, Hey, it's, it's May right now. You know, we, we know like kind of what the pattern to look for through the course of the season. There's some stuff in AOD specifically about what to look for at tight ends to sort of right track, wrong track type stuff for rookies. And you could say, all right, like I can look at this maybe 100, 200 routes into their season. And if they're on, there's going to be guys in, in leagues that are on waiver wires. And you can tell pretty early on if if the guy's going to be uh, what what type of fantasy asset he could be. Because at tight end in particular, if you're going to be elite, it shows really early historically. Uh, it might be small sample size, but you can look at it and say very early on, like this is an elite profile. Um, and so you can figure out a ways to take some of those shots sort of as the season goes along. That's one of the things that I look, I joke it and you can look at guys like Tyler Conklin and Dalton Schultz. And it actually, you know, if you were to sort of draft a couple years later on the tight ends, that's actually not a bad way to go about it. So that's actually something that I have to do as a project to basically go look at like the last couple of years of tight ends and be like, all right, where, where are we situationally that maybe guys are, are number twos on the depth chart that things could break right for them. Um, it's just tough to draft them. Like, again, I, I think Trey McBride's really interesting. The problem is, is like, if you're playing 28 man rosters with like super flex and some of that stuff, like you've already got a tight end, you may have a backup and now you're going to hold the third one that is behind Zach Ertz. I hear you. And maybe he's the third or fourth. Like, again, yeah. I like, I like him. The The problem is, is it becomes, it very much becomes a, a depth thing. If you're going to take him, you know, I, I do think round two, like round two tight end in round three of rookie draft is an almost an auto pick. Um, historically, that's a really good. That's a that's a place you just just insert insert card right. and, and and hit and hit and hit the button there. Um, but it it become and that's you've gotten guys like Fryermuth that way, Cole Komet. You know, just that's a good profile. But I think he's been going a little bit earlier than that. It's just been kind of tough to get to him. And again, he's. To me, he's pretty buried because I still think pretty highly of Zach Ertz, at least from a at least from a volume route, a route dominating. I don't think he's super dynamic, but I think there's still the Twitter account of like has Zach Ertz broken a tackle, and it's always like no, 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 no. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's it's pretty good, but uh, but yeah. So I mean, I, I like McBride, but I think he's going to be one of those guys that's going to probably be buried. Yeah. It's uh, that that was my question was Trey McBride or Pratt Fryermuth. So you're mm-hmm. on you're on you're on the side of Fryermuth then just cuz he's he's getting the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, he is. And and I have a I've had a handful of him that I've sort of pivoted off of him. Like I think he's interesting. He he is on the right track after year 1, but I'm not sure he's necessarily an elite profile. And so if I can use him in some of the, you know, the rookie shine to maybe pivot up the board, that's something I'm really taking on doing. And that's one of the things about AOD that as I've tried to do this more and more, we can look at some of the rookie stuff and all that stuff, but let's give like actionable sort of, again, just actionable sort of like things you could put on a postcard and say, all right, if this happens, this is kind of how we need to look at it as sort of a general rule and then we can pivot if we need to um, or if circumstances warrant, but you look at rookies and you look at some of the, um, you know, some of the yards per route run data and stuff like that. The guys that are really, really good were really, really good as rookies. Um, Frymouth is, was good as a rookie, but that blends in, right? Good as a rookie kind of blends in at the position, bad at the bad as a rookie, you know, this, the, you're either elite at tight end or you blend in. And Fryermuth is much more on the blend in 
trajectory would be right. the thing that I would say. So I mean, again, I, I, I like that, him. That's, that's but... yeah, that's like that's full circle on your get elite assets to win. Yeah, uh, like, yeah. Like like the point is to win money, and then you have the next six years paid off, and to- you know, totally. try to rinse and repeat to profit. Right, and and you look at guys who have done it, right? Like again, Pitts is totally on a is on an enormous track. Yeah. Um, uh, but but coming in like again, what where have guys hit from deep or hit from further down the board? Um, Andrews, like Andrews is maybe the most efficient tight end on a per route basis. He's a monster, a monster, right? He's him and between it's him and Kittle are basically the two guys that are just on a on a route run basis are dominant in terms of the targets that they that they get and the yards that they get per route run. Um, the next guy after that is interesting and further down it's Goddard. Right. And so I look at guys like that, like that's a profile that I missed on Andrew. Like I liked Andrews, but I missed on how elite he was before he broke out. He didn't really break out last year. He just ran a lot more routes. Like that's the, the only thing that changed was how much more passing opportunity that they gave him. Nothing else. Like his performance didn't get any better. Like his performance was that good. It always was that good. He just got the ball. They just more. threw the ball a lot more. Right. That was that was the that was the outcome that happened. So um, those are the situations that I really like. And again, if if you can move towards one of those situations now, Goddard from Firebooth, like that's a really interesting pivot to me because I think that if one of those guys were to go supernova, it's it's definitely the guy that's got the high efficiency already, and that would be Goddard. Jordan. That's why I bring you on, man. Listen, I'm selfish <laughs> as all hell, and I just like I, I like to steal your brain and pick it because, damn, uh, <laughs> you you just you you think the way I like to play the game. You know, mm-hmm. I played poker for a good chunk of my life, did it for a living for a couple of years. So just the understanding, it's not about the cards in front of you; it's about mm-hmm. how to play and everything else. And that's probably why I play this game, mm-hmm. but. You know, and, and I learned to play it similarly. You absolutely have written a book about how it is similar in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, also, if you combine us, you know, you're a Syracuse guy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you combine our name, we got Jerry McNamara, and I know he was, I hated him, but I'm, I'm sure you love him. Um, yeah, he, he brought him and Carmelo and, and, and others, Hakeem Work as well, yeah. brought home a, uh, a, a national championship, the only one that we, uh, that we have hanging. Up in the, it has a new name now. Um, oh, they did just change it, didn't they? They did. They just changed it. It's a, it's a wireless phone company, and I, I'm not even going to try because I'm going to get it wrong. But yeah, they just changed the name to a new name. Um, they didn't move it though. It's still in the dome, right? It's still there. Yeah, it's okay. still, it's okay. still the dome. But, um, but yeah, it's, it has a new sponsor name. So, um, but yeah, I can, like, yeah, I can. And it's funny because they just rebuilt uh, the, the the roof on it and stuff, and I can see it from my house. So um, it's a it's a whole new uh, 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 skyscape, or you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, view. I guess mm-hmm. how the how the skyline looks. It's it's totally different. Which I'm not sure I like it. I don't I don't know if it's better. But it's different. Listen, ho- hopefully it gets the resale value on that house a little bit more, man. Yeah, but, well, hopefully, uh, hopefully. You know, talk to me about what you got going on. Let's get out of here. I think I just saw Randall coming down the stairs, so he's probably going to kick us out soon anyway. Cool. But what what do you got going in the dynasty life, in your real life? You know, whatever you want to talk about, man. 
Yeah, um, you know, just go check out the the new GM, the new GM guide. Even if you're, uh, even if you are in, uh, have been playing for a while, I think some of the stuff about the stuff I knew at the beginning can help you. Um, so there's that again, then go check out the, the AOD 2022 edition that that'll get you a lot of the advanced team building stuff. Come check out our pods. You know, I, I do a podcast, 388 podcasts last year. Um, so one every day. And then there was like eight or nine was the schedule that we did in season. So lots of stuff there. We'll have everything covered for you. And, uh, you know, by it's funny because I will hear, I'll record something. And then I won't release it for you know four or five days because I'll record a bunch at the same time or whatever. And then I'll hear back from subscribers and be like, oh, you know, and it'll be I release them eight o'clock every morning. So it'll be like 820 and someone will be like, oh, like such and such. is I can't believe you said such and such or I just well, that's great. I'm going to do such and such. And I'll be like, I have to remember what I did, what I said a week ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? so, so there's all that stuff. So that's always there for you, um, you know, and then come join our group chat as well. We're constantly talking Dynasty and um and and uh, basketball and all sorts of fun stuff that uh, is is related and but not all dynasty exclusive. So yeah, you can come check it out at AOD and then um, at analyticsdynasty.com and follow me on Twitter at McNamara Dynasty where we can find ourselves getting in some trouble and some shenanigans on Twitter as well. So yeah, that's the yeah, fun I stuff. Saw, I saw the uh, the Saquon Barkley Sony Michelle tweet. So it's funny. Someone said to me they were like, I can't believe you're perpetuating this narrative, and I was like, narrative. I go, that's a fact. Go, there, there's no narrative. I didn't say a narrative. I said a s- simple statistical observation. I didn't say anything about the causal effect of it. I didn't say anything about it. I just said the fact that Sonny Michelle has more rushing yards than Sickle Franklin's career. <laughs> so it's not a narrative. It's a fact. <laughs> it was awesome. I, I read through some of the comments because I knew it was going to. I knew it was coming. Yeah. So it was, was like the was most just... reacted to tweet that I've ever had, I think. Yeah, it was yeah, funny. It was... it was funny. Also, absolutely insane. Like, it's crazy, like, right? Just, just, just to read it. It's crazy. Um, it's funny when you get like verified people like retweeting your stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. it'd be like people you like listen to or, or why, you know, like I didn't get people that I actually watch, but people I listen to and like other podcasts that are like, you know, uh, mainstream podcast. Right. <laughs> like retweeted out. Like, what is going on? <laughs> like, it was just something that it was just amusing that, that I saw that was pretty funny. And then, you know, they, they, uh, it, it took off. It was funny. No, it was, I laughed. I enjoyed it. And it gave me entertainment later just because of the mouth breathers that you had coming in there. But I found it funny that, that Ronald Jones has more receiving. uh, I think it was more receiving yards that Equinamia St. Brown does. And it's the starter for the Chicago bears. (laughs) The guy that can't catch and and his job has more receiving yards than him. (laughs) It's been fun. This game was psychopathic, but yeah, yeah, uh, good show. You know, I, I appreciate you for guiding me on this, you know, cluster yep. F that it has been. Um, you've made everybody smarter. You always do. Your shit's awesome. I enjoy Thanks, it. I, I, I mean, listen, we do it so that we can give good information out to other people. Mostly I do it for myself. I want to win and I like it. You help me win. That's why I love your stuff. That's why we invite you on every single time. But ladies and gentlemen, here at the Dynasty War Zone, my name's Jerry. That is Jordan McNamara. We are getting the hell out of here. And just know that here at the Dynasty War Zone, we're trying to make the world a better place for fantasy football. Bye. All right, my friend. That was awesome, man. Sorry we ran a little long. 
No, 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 no. It, we always do. I, I knew for sure we were. That dude's probably sleeping anyway. This is going to run out until. Oh, <laughs> 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 so how uh, how's life been? You got the one kid, right? I got two. I got oh, okay. two. I got two. It, it just uh, yeah. Raising it's home. it's fun, man. It's they're just they're crazy. They're crazy. It's funny the whole shooting at a. Uh, yes. At an elementary school, hits you different when you've got two kids under five. I believe it. The hell. So, that's do you have kids? Uh, no, I don't. No. Um, my my wife was just saying that though, because you know she's. I mean, we're educated, but she yeah. was, you know, she's like, you know, we always make fun of people that want to homeschool because you know yeah. we, we think they're not qualified to be a teacher or anything. Right. But then she's like, "Fuck!" At this point, like, why yeah. wouldn't we want to do it? Like, it, it, like. If we can teach elementary school and avoid that kind of stuff, it's it's outrageous, man. We live in a weird place. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's it's, yeah. It's it's uh, uh it's it, it, it like it's I came back stuff. to the same way of like I remember Sandy Hook. You know what I mean? I yeah. remember and just yeah, it brings the same. But that Sandy Hook didn't. I don't. I didn't have kids when Sandy Hook happened. I don't think I was. I think it was like 2012 when it happened and you know, it's what, 10 years ago now. Um, and, but it hits you different when you've got kids, you know, I wasn't, I was an idiot and had no real obligation in the, you know, I wasn't married, you know, like whatever. And it's just, you just that, but then you have kids, you have people you care about, you know, it's just, it's, it's just crazy. So there was an eight, there was an eighth grader brought a gun to school today in our, like at the school close to us. It's like, like, like it. I it didn't shoot anyone, but right, gun at school. You know, like yeah. you know, um, there was a shooting in the parking lot of the grocery store we go to, and I'm like, uh, yeah, I take my kids there, and it, they have the best seat. Like, it's not the best grocery store, but it's the absolutely the best seafood grocery store. It's the best mm-hmm. like the meat market and everything. It's that's the by far the best, and um, there was a shooting like in the. And I take my kids there after my daughter's dance class. Like we go and get bagels usually. Jesus. And it's like, it's just, you know, you're just like, what the hell? So. Yeah. I mean, uh, scary. I, so I'm in Michigan. So Oxford that happened a couple of months ago, it's sort mm-hmm. of close. It's, mm-hmm. it's probably about 40 minutes away, but that's sort of the closest it's hit. That's, I couldn't imagine it being at a place that I've, I go mm-hmm. to. Yeah. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. Just, it's just stupid. So. So what do you do? Are you are you just doing fantasy stuff now? Um, so I, I joke that I'm a bad lawyer. Um, no, I I uh, I was so when COVID happened, I was I had just changed jobs, um, and I left my job. I was a prosec. I'm a I'm a lawyer. Um, I was a prosecutor at the time, and I left my job for a variety of reasons. I just couldn't stay there anymore. Um, and so I left, and I went into private practice. I didn't really want to go into private practice. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I couldn't stay any more days at my old job. So I went to private practice and then, uh, you know, COVID happened. So we're locked in our houses and I just started recording podcasts and it was fun. And, you know, and then it kind of took off from a whole bunch of people that have bought the book and then, you know, didn't have anything to do. So they just listened to podcasts and we re- release podcasts every day which is fun. And, um, and so then I was like, okay, like this is cool, but it took up so much of my time from the lawyer stuff. I just couldn't really balance it. And so, um, I had had, 
a neighboring county try to hire me when I left my old job before I went to private practice. And I said, listen, I just need to, I need to do something else for some period of time. I don't know how long that is. I said, but, um, but I'm not saying no forever. I'm just saying no for right now. Like I think we'd be better off if at some point down the line, like we revisited this instead of right now, I just needed to try something different. And, uh, and so then I called him like six months later. And I was like, Hey, I'm interested in coming to work for you. I was like, what, do you have anything? He's like, all I can do is hire you part-time. And I was like, those are the best words I've ever heard anyone say. <laughs> so, so, so I was like, all right. I was like, when can I start? So he got it figured out for me, got me started. And, and then, um, I've been there two days. I work Tuesday. I work uh, Wednesday and Thursday, and then I do fantasy stuff the rest of the time. So it's, it's, and it's a blend of, I can, you know, I can see my kids. Like I, when I was doing the full-time private practice lawyer thing, like it was either going to be, I couldn't, I couldn't get any exercise. I couldn't do the fantasy stuff. I couldn't do my work or I couldn't do my family. Like I, there was like two things that weren't going to happen. Right. And I was just like, I don't want to spend my like thirties doing something that I absolutely like. And it was horrible. Like I didn't like what I was doing. So it was like really easy to be like, I can go do anything else. And my wife's awesome. So she was like, she was like pushing me to do it for a while. So, so yeah, so that's, that's what I do. So are you, are you still prosecuting or? Yeah. I basically prosecute traffic tickets. It's like the best. I literally have the best, like, and my (laughs) boss, like, and he's the best. Like he's the best. He's he's not a great boss if you work for him full time. If you work for him part time, he's the best boss. Like he's <laughs> that's awesome. awesome. He's great. So people that work for him full time, they're like he's he can be a lot, but he's like you know, and he it's great. Like if ever I have a problem, like he takes care of me. He's he's a, an amazing boss, and he's an awesome person. So it's really good to you know work for them, uh, work for him, and um, yeah. So I do that thursday uh, wednesday and thursday and then um i pay i prosecute speeding tickets is basically what i do shit take it some dwis and, you know some pettit larcenies from walmart is basically what i spend my time doing so um so yeah it's pretty and he like lets me work from home a couple times a month and it's like it's awesome it's like the best it's 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 um i couldn't be any more lucky than i am so I got a I got a friend. She's a lawyer. I don't know exactly what she does, but mm-hmm. she's full time and she is fucking burnt out on it. So I, I could see where you were coming from. And I'll tell you, like the the, balls about it. the the difference between, like I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I went to law school, but mm-hmm. um, I went and um, and then I sort of and it's funny because, like I was a prosecutor and you don't make a ton of money, but you. Uh, like from pretty quickly i was making like decent money and it wasn't mm-hmm. i was working hard but it wasn't like the same level of um you know i wasn't putting in like you know 80 hour weeks either right? you know what i mean yeah. i was like i was working i was working but i wasn't killing myself right and uh <laughs> and so it became very easy to like not want to leave right because the money's pretty good for the effort that you're putting you know you're not you can raise a family you can do like the work-life balance wasn't a problem the problem is it was such a toxic work environment that it was just impossible so um so i had to like leave and then you know i had to go do something different i just couldn't stay there anymore and but it's fun you you go you see a toxic work environment then you go work in private factory like yeah i don't want to do that then you go and you actually work for a cool boss you're like all right like all right, like it all worked out. So, so yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I wouldn't want to be like I couldn't go back to being a full time lawyer working for somebody else. I just couldn't. 
I couldn't. No. It 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 bores me to no end. Like it just it's it's just yeah. So I mean, especially if this is doing well for you, that's awesome, man. I yeah, and it's fun. It's... Like now, like if I wanted to go do something, if I had to go like back to being a lawyer, I just open up my own. Like I would do traffic tickets and do my own thing like that. Right. Like I couldn't. I just you know, there's just more. There's more to life than feeding some partners ego right. which is a mm-hmm. lot of what it was so i got this for for them yeah so. exactly exactly so all right then bro you're getting out of here all right man hey thanks for having bro, me on i really appreciate it hey thanks for just talking man i appreciate it yeah buddy i'll talk to you soon yes sir all right see you. When we add up all those inches, that's going to make the fucking difference between winning and losing. We won a game yesterday. And if we win one today, that's two in a row. We win one tomorrow, that's called a winning streak.